Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to the Words, Women, and Wisdom radio show, streaming live from BBS Radio in California and syndicated to over 100 stations globally, including iHeart and iTunes. I'm glad that you are back as my listeners for another really interesting show. Today, we're going to be talking with my guest, who's actually, funnily enough, also in Alberta, not that far away from me, which is really unusual because we are a global platform. And my my guest, Kathy Godfrey, who I'll formally introduce in just a moment, is a very special lady. And I want to encourage you right now to go grab your pen and paper because there are going to be some really interesting highlights today. Insights and wisdom shared on things that you might not necessarily think about. And yet, if this is something that happens to you, and it could very easily, you want to make sure that you are prepared as much as possible ahead of time. Because when you're in the thick of it, it really can be quite traumatic. And we're talking today, the title for the show is Post-Suicide Thriving. And I call it thriving because this show is all about women who've risen from tragedy to triumph and are now out in the world doing really interesting work, work that touches lives, work that makes an impact. And sometimes it's just in the community and sometimes it is globally. And in Kathy's case, as a best-selling author, She is touching lives all over the globe. And this is something that is not just an Alberta issue. It's not just a local topic. It's something that can touch lives anywhere. So by way of an introduction, hello, Kathy. I'm so glad you could join me today. Hello, Yvonne. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. I'm I'm very honored. You're welcome. So by, by way of an introduction, um, Kathy is, um, she's an amazing woman. She has over 25 years of experience working through this social work lens and working with youth, including those who are suicidal, but she never actually believed what was going to happen. I'm not going to st- I'm not going to dive into it. I'm going to let Kathy talk about her story. Um, she's the author of an incredible book, Your Suicide Didn't Kill Me, Choosing to Live and Love Again After Loss, which is a book that's offering hope and understanding to fellow survivors. And she's in that book, bravely recounting her own journey, um, a journey through grief, a journey through learning to learn and choosing to love again, and what lessons and stories can come out of that experience. And this wasn't a book that was just, you know, a weekend write. This was a a journey, and I suspect it was quite cathartic, but we'll talk about that as part of the the show, the book writing process. Um, Also, though, she has dived into being not just a certified grief educator, but also a certified teaching parent. I don't think I've had one of those on the show before. We'll talk about that a little bit, too. She's also um, looking as a trainer and corporate coach at this topic of leadership. She's a lifelong learner. She loves self-development, personal development growth areas um, after working with Jack Canfield and studying with him in San Diego. I was also part of Jack Canfield's coaching program uh, many years ago and uh, also dives into energetic healing as well. And if we haven't connected before, Kathy and I have some interesting overlaps in our background. I'm a certified executive coach by training, chartered HR professional. I'm working with women entrepreneurs in particular for the last 
14 years with 20 plus years of senior HR work before that, interviewing and hiring about 6,000 people along the journey, leading teams myself, and then the last little while really working on this topic of communications when I put my own book together, Words, Women and Wisdom, The Modern Art of Confident Conversations. And that's specifically for women who want to elevate their powerful communications to ask what they want to get it. So we have some things in common, which will make for a juicy conversation. So glad that you could join me, Kathy. Why don't we start talking a little bit about the book project and how it all came about? What happened before? Why this Mm -hmm. book that absolutely had to get birthed? And then we'll talk a little bit later on about you know, what's coming up next, where you are now and what's coming next. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so this book came from the, um, the result that my first husband died by suicide uh, in the, in December of 2000. So that's almost 23 years ago. Yeah. And it took me a long, long time to work through the grief process. And uh, then came the idea of writing a book. And the reason is that with a background in social work, I was a train, I was trained in suicide prevention. Right. My husband, and his name is Brian, uh, was trained in suicide prevention. We had talked about suicide. Three months before he died, I had a uh, a teen girl that I had been working with in a residential program die by suicide. And so with all of that behind me, I thought if I couldn't recognize the signs, maybe I could help others to realize that, you know, to take the pressure off themselves. I've heard so many people say, I should have known, I should have known. Well, I was trained, I saw, you know, trained to see the signs. And when it's really close to you, you don't necessarily see the signs or you don't want to believe you see the signs. Uh, my husband yeah. and I had a pact that we were not going to die by suicide. And he kept that agreement until he did not. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's sort of the genesis of of writing the book was really to make a difference and to, um, I, I want to keep the conversation going, uh, not only about suicide prevention, because we, you know, there's lots out there about suicide prevention and that's awesome. And I want to, there to be more for survivors of suicide loss that right. we need to recognize that, I mean, grief is hard. Grief mm-hmm. is hard work. And all of us have grieved at some point. We've lost a job. We've lost a dog. We've lost a partner. Suicide takes it to another level. It's a complicated grief when you're talking about suicide. Yeah. So I didn't, um, I didn't share with you when we spoke earlier about, um, doing this interview, um, my own father actually committed suicide. Um, It didn't didn't impact me anywhere close to what the impact was on you for your husband, partly because we were estranged. And uh, as I share in my, in my book, um, and he had, um, this is going back when I was growing up in London, England, uh, he had come back from World War II with a bullet in Dunkirk, got a bullet in the forehead, um, And he came back with PTSD and he never got treated. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of men came back from the war and there wasn't enough resources to treat them. And for me, as a young girl, it just showed up with him being a very angry man. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to this in in, in my book. But 
the the essence of it was he died a very lonely person. He died. He walked away from my mom, 25 years of marriage, got his own little apartment. And the trauma that he went through um, that resulted in him making that decision <clears throat> was more on the um, combination of physical and mental. He got gout in one of his legs and decided he didn't want to be a burden on society and did write a note and cut up his prized library card um, along with a few other things that he left in his apartment. And um, yeah, very, very sad story. But I would never have imagined that he would have done that either, even though we were estranged right. for many, many years. And uh, it was sad because he pushed away everybody and he had one, no, two people at his funeral, my, my sister and her husband, because my mom had already passed on. So right. it's incredible what happens. And I'm so thankful that you wrote this book for the people who are going to choose to thrive and we'll have the educational material and the insights from your book to know how to do that. So, yeah. And so what let the- me just start by saying that, can I just say that I, I'm generally sorry for your loss. And I think sometimes we, we jump over that mm-hmm. in acknowledging whether you were estranged or not, he was mm-hmm. your dad. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just acknowledging, I'm acknowledging your loss. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And obviously with your, uh, much closer connection and the work that you and your husband were both doing. Yes, I can certainly see how looking through that lens, it can be totally bewildering. You know, how come I didn't see this coming? And that word should, we're going to talk a little bit about that later because I have some theories on the word should. <laughs> so right. it right. it took a little while didn't it to write the book to actually get write the book and then to complete it it absolutely did so this book is nine years in the writing and you'll think nine years it took you nine years I remember somebody telling me they took seven years to write their book and I thought what's wrong with you however being an author I think you will understand that it's a very vulnerable book I mean I really go into depth here about my inner feelings and there was times where I would write and I would have to just put it away for a while because it was so raw and I would have to process. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two years in there that I did not even touch the book. And that is when I was, uh, I'm now with my uh, my new husband, my now husband. Um, yeah. And as I was building relationship with him, I could not be writing about my first husband. So I just put it aside. And then through the encouragement of my now husband, I picked it up again. He said, you've got to finish the book. And so I, you know, kudos to him for uh, being the person that is not threatened by me writing a book about, about my experience and about my first husband. Yeah. Was, was your first husband surrounded by, or, you know, was that part of his upbringing? Was, was he around anybody else who had committed suicide? Do you know where that would have come from or? I think that he had some experience with people who had become suicidal. I don't think he had anybody uh, really close to him or in his family. And that's a really good point, because if you are the survivor of suicide loss, uh, your risk goes up exponentially at Mm -hmm. risk to die by suicide yourself. And I just want to say that, you know, um, I'm I'm just going to put this in there that I do use the word terminology die by suicide. And Mm -hmm. I used to say committed. 
And it's in my book that committed means that it's actually a crime. And in Canada and the United States, suicide is not a crime. So if if you take anything away from today, if you start to watch your language, and you'll notice that magazines are starting to do this. They're starting to say died by suicide. They're not using the word committed. Now, what I do is I share that information, but I never judge anybody. If they say the word committed, we will just keep going on that conversation because the conversation is more important than the language. Uh, but I just, I want to be part of the, you know, changing our culture and our, our language around suicide. So I just want to add that into the conversation. Yeah. Well, we just had mental health awareness in May and this topic, you know, so closely aligns with some of the other challenges that fit in that mental health awareness category and being a social worker by by training. um, You know, there's a lot of complex issues that can feed into the choice. Absolutely. um, To make your own life. So what, um, when you were writing the book, what was your process? Were you mostly working from your own personal experience and the the feelings that emerged? Were you looking at it through the lens of research and data or what, what was your process? It's a combination of both. I started out writing the book about uh, writing down sort of ideas. I'll talk about this and this and this, and these are kind of really important things that I want to get across and then flush out the stories from, from there. Um, I also thought it was really important that if, you know, when I was looking for a book when uh, when Brian died, the only book I could find on the shelf, I talk about it in my book, it was by Carla Fine, and it's No Time to Say Goodbye. And I read her book over and over and over again. It was all dog-eared. And I would say, if Carla can do it, I can do it. So I hope that at some point, somebody will pick up my book and go, oh, if Kathy can do it, so can I. And that's, you know, part of my intention. I'm so blessed that Carla Fine, I reached out to her and she has given uh, a, a note within my book. Um, so thanks, Carla Fine, for, uh, for acknowledging. Yes. Uh, acknowledging that the work continues. I, I think it's important to do that, to look at the topic and say, you know, what else is already out there? Um, I did the same thing. I was in um, a very well-known um, global entrepreneur and thought leader, Teresa de Grobar. I was in one of her writing programs. Um, okay. She's author of the best-selling book. Um, um, oh, shoot. No, it's escaping me. Hang on a second. Um, <laughs> the Oh, it's something to do with the art of influence. It'll come to me a bit later on, I'm sure, because um, it's a reference in my book. However, Um, One of the things that she suggested was to actually go and look for the category in your local bookstore that you want to write about and then see what books are already there so that you can make sure that your title is not plagiarism. It's also to know that there is space, in fact, for you to actually write another book and it to be in that in that topic. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I thought it was part of the. um, beginning part but it's one of the quoted stories so i'll find it um sure it's um it's an excellent writing program by the way i'll come back to that later the 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 individualism is so important in the title i think though that each author puts their own flair it's kind of like dna 
you know, we can we can both be trained or certified as coaches, and yet we'll bring to the table different experiences, different insights. The lens is different because of our our experiences growing up, our training, etc. Um, and you've lived through it. So, how would you summarize the key messages in the book, Kathy? Oh, great question. Um, how I would summarize is that a tragedy happened and I was able to choose to keep going, right? to find my own way, to live my own life. I have met so many people who have what I call dead eyes. Like they, some, a loved one dies by suicide and they feel like they have died too. You can mm-hmm. see it in their face, their, their, uh, their skin color, and they kind of get a, a little stuck. And, I get that in the early stages, I felt very stuck. Mm -hmm. And then there comes the moment where it's like, wait a minute, I have the rest of my life ahead of me. Do I want to live my life this way? Or do I want to make some choices to move forward? And you had spoken earlier that, you know, I love personal development. And that's where I put my energies. I went into, you know, if there was a personal development course, uh, I learned the, the love of that by, you know, a chance meeting with Jack Canfield uh, way back when and continued on. And my healing came through personal development courses, through therapy, through friends. I mean, it really took a village. I'm not here to say that I did this all on my own. Mm-mm-mm. It took a village. And sometimes I am saddened that in today's world, we, we seem to be in silos that we're not connecting as much because when tragedy happens, we need each other. Right. We need to lean on each other. And so, ha- you know, having connections ahead of time really does help. Yeah. Well, thinking back to, you know, cavemen times, right, um, or cavewoman times, the mm. the desire, the need to be in community, I mean, that's part of the human experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, we need food, Absolutely. shelter, community. I mean, all of those things are fundamental at the bottom. and yeah. No one person that I know, even and I know some incredible, incredible female entrepreneurs and, and men as well. Um, but nobody can be up all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you just keep going and you go through the roof and, and you wouldn't have any real experiences. And what I'm seeing, certainly in, in the marketplace, especially in the arena of marketing and social media, is you know, gone are the days that people want to see someone sitting in their private jet ship sipping on champagne. They want the real story. Don't just show me all your toys and the glitz and glam that you've you've accomplished. Show me the real person, the person that had to slow, that had to really get in the trenches, get covered in mud and muck and really live through it. And what was the aha moment that caused you to then take a different route what did you learn along the way? And are you transparent and real? That's the kind of leadership influencer type uh, mm-hmm. scenarios that I look for. And many of my mm-hmm. uh, many of my readers and subscribers want. Good. They want the real experience, not the, Absolutely. the airbrushed one. <laughs> That's right. I, I'm looking for authenticity. I'm, I'm looking for somebody that is relatable, right? Yeah. I go back to Carla Fine. I related to her story. Right, yeah. because she had had an, a similar experience than I did, and she gave me hope. 
And that's what I want. I want somebody that's going to inspire me, not something that's like way out there and, and sitting on your jet sh- sipping champagne. Cause to me that is, and when you're deep in grief, that just seems so, so far away. Far. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not to say I wouldn't like that, but that's not what I'm really looking for. I'm looking for how do I get up in the morning and find purpose in my day right. and make a difference in the world and connect with people and love people. And those are the things I'm looking for. Yeah. So I think the audience members would be looking right now, now that we've opened up this topic of thriving, post-suicide thriving, to know what some of the signs are to look out for that aren't perhaps very well known. I mean, who goes looking for information about it unless it's it's needed now? Right. Yeah. Um, so signs that I saw but didn't want to see uh, was that he was sleeping a lot. He was also in a lot of pain. He had herniated a disc in his, in his neck and he was on medication. Mm -hmm. And so he wasn't really himself during that time. And I think the medication definitely had a, you know, played a part in, uh, in the, the, the final act of suicide. Um, But also, you know, uh, and I show this in the book that he came into the bedroom and he said, we're going to have to find somebody else to take care of you. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, because I won't be able to do it anymore. And it was just like, who says that, you know, who, who, who says that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and what he was doing is he was preparing me that he was not going to be there and that it was okay for me to go and find someone else. Now, between the time that he died and the time that I met my now husband was 13 years. So I wasn't out looking for anybody. I was, I was, I had my head down, taking care of my kids, um, you know, healing, taking care of myself, trying to work through all this, Um, you know, and I think that the, one of the biggest things that I wondered is why, why would he choose to do this? Why, why did he want to hurt me this bad? And what I really learned about suicide is that suicide is not a choice. And that was a big one for me to digest. What it is, is that you and I have our toolkit. So if something comes up, we pull something out of our toolkit to manage it. Someone who is really on the precipice of suicide doesn't have anything left in their toolkit. There's not, there are no more options. Suicide is in front of them. And that seems the only possibility for them. So when people say, why do they choose it? I, like I say, I had to really wrap my head around the fact that it's not a choice. Mm. It's they're faced with the final, final tool in the toolkit. Okay. I'm out of, you know, I'm going to take my own life. Mm. So um pain the sleeping was there anything else that you in hindsight now that you've written the book and talked to numerous people about what you know what their was too are there any other signs that are important to watch for well and um I had allowed my husband to be taking care of all the finances and what I didn't realize is he wasn't paying the bills Mm. so all of a sudden there were bill collectors and it was just like what why are there bill collector? Because he hadn't done that, mm-hmm. right? And he he hadn't even uh, renewed our insurance. So I was driving a vehicle that had no insurance on it. Now, these are some of these things I didn't know till afterwards. Right. But if you see somebody that is acting 
I don't know, a little bit strange. You just might want to get a little curious and ask a few more questions and listen to your gut. That's, I think that's the biggest thing. Listen to your gut that something is off. Something right. is off here and, and get into conversation. Yeah. Was the, was he working during that time or did the uh, back injury? Yeah. Um, he, he was off work because he had, um, uh, he, he had his own business mm-hmm. and he was not able to work because of, uh, because of the injury. So money wasn't coming in, thus he wasn't paying the bills. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was layer upon layer, right? So one thing after another, after another. So it wasn't just one thing that was happening all at once. Yeah. It was many, many layers mm. at that time. And finally it was like, um, yeah, he, could not cope anymore well i i um i so respect and honor the fact that you've poured your soul into this work and put down the most important elements the things to watch for um i'm curious was there ever any conversation about it other than making that pact which sounded like it was many years before um this this um mm-hmm set of circumstances presented themselves but was there any more mm-hmm. recent conversation that gave you any hints that something was was on the horizon there I don't, I don't know if there I, I, there were hints as I said that there was a young gal that I was working in in the treatment home that had just died by suicide so suicide was a big con- you know, topic of conversation in our house because he could see that I was really struggling with her death and, um, but the, I would say the biggest one is when he came in and said that I would need to be taken care of. Um, yeah, that, that I think that was the, the biggest <clears throat> thing. So if you have a suspicion, if you see any mm-hmm. of these signs, what would you recommend that people actually do? Like, what mm-hmm. do you do to try to Great question? Yeah, to try to ease the situation i mean ultimately we're all responsible for um for looking at what you know what can we do how do we solve problems right. whatever resilience right. level is our tenacity our toolkit contents etc mm-hmm. what would you be yeah. suggesting though so number one again listen to you listen to your gut that something is off and don't be afraid to ask Right. Sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to ask them if they're thinking of hurting themselves because I don't want to give them any ideas. Trust me, asking (laughs) this is not going to you're not giving them any ideas that they haven't already thought of. But sometimes just saying, are you thinking of hurting yourself or even are you thinking of killing yourself? Sometimes I have I have come right out and asked people because and they also know my history. Right. Mm-hmm. So they go, oh, I, I know why you're asking. But I think anybody could ask that. And even if it's are you, you know, you, you seem really down and, and just from some of the stuff that you're saying, I'm concerned about you. So let them know that you're concerned mm-hmm. and just say, you know, that, you know, are are you thinking of hurting yourself? And the biggest thing is I'm here to listen. OK, mm-hmm. so. Sometimes that's, you know, if somebody has a, a, a listening ear, has a, has, you know, that, that access to a listening, that could be putting something back into their toolkit again, that wasn't there before. Right. Um, and when 
I say, listen, I really mean, listen, I don't mean coming up with your stories like, oh yeah, my aunt, yeah, she was really depressed. And then they go off on your story. That's not listening. Listening is hearing their story and saying, is there anything else? Is there anything else? Right. And then just be quiet. Right. Just let it go and let them talk. And if you've heard the story 20 times, well, I'm suggesting that you listen to it 21. Right. Because that 21 could be the difference between them being here and them not. Yeah. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's very similar in that regard to uh, the grief process. You know, where letting the person talk about, you know, the stories and the experiences, whether you've heard it you know, one time or five times or 20 times, is right. that they need to process and they need someone to be listening and understanding and appreciating and not necessarily asking a, b- a whole bunch of questions, just listening. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And absolutely, because grief is not linear, right? It's not just you go from point A to point B. It's mm-hmm. up and down and all around and, and you're going to hear stories over and over again. And I've, gosh, I, I belong to some groups on, on uh, Facebook, you know, uh, survivors of suicide loss and people on there saying, boy, you know, my, my family is like, aren't you over it yet? Like, Ooh. oh, painful. Like, I don't think you're ever totally over it. You, you will manage it better. You will choose to manage it, but you will never, ever be totally over it. Or I, I just haven't found anybody that is completely over it. Um, mm. so, so what not to say? <laughs> right? What not to say? What not to say to people is, aren't you over it yet? Or gosh, it's been four months. You know, can I introduce you to somebody? You know, it's like everybody's on their own schedule for grief. And so instead of suggesting to them and trying to fix it for them, you can ask them, what, what would you like? What, how can I best support you? What are you ready for? Right? Oh, I love that question. What are you ready for? Yeah. I mean, what are you ready for? I had, yeah, I had a hairdresser. Every time I went to see her, she would say for years, so have you found a, a, a new guy yet? And I'm just like, I am so not ready. I talk about in my book, it took me, a, a, it took me years to take my wedding rings off. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't ready. And then finally I thought, okay, I'm ready. And I had put a lot of weight on so the rings wouldn't come off. So I lost 30 pounds, found that the ring was coming off and then pushed it back on and gained 30 pounds faster than I've ever seen anybody gain 30 pounds because I just wasn't ready. So I think the big thing is don't try and push someone. If they're grieving, don't try and push them on your timeline or what you think it should be. Um, Many years ago, it used to be that, you know, people would wear black for a year and that Mm -hmm. was their mourning period. Right. We don't do that anymore. Uh, Well, most people, I don't know, maybe some do, but most people I don't think do that anymore. But I think we just need to have a little bit more grace and understanding. And the other thing is, is that people get really uncomfortable when you're a survivor of suicide loss. Yeah. Lost some friends. I lost some friends. They just, they were uncomfortable with the conversation, but the people who really stepped up, they're still my friends today, 23 years later. Right. So what were those people who were there to support you? What were they asking that was 
different, that was supportive, that was something that really resonated for you, that this person was, in fact, a true friend and not just mm-hmm. giving the whole process lip service. Right. So my best friend Donna and I would get up and we would walk from 5.30 in the morning till 6.15 and solve the problems of the world. And we would listen to each other without giving advice. Mm. It would just be a, a space of listening. And so many times when we're in conversation with somebody, we're listening to what is my response going to be? Yeah. Rather than just really listening to what they're saying. And so that that is everything to me to have somebody that just really wanted to listen and would say, is there anything else? Do you feel complete? Anything mm-hmm. else kind of, okay. And then we would kind of take turns um, sh- sharing what was going on with us. Mm-hmm. Well, starting the day, um, assuming that you know you weren't getting up at three and that five 30 was you know in the middle of your day, um, starting the day with a, a clear energy, an opportunity to share, to reflect without deep diving into trying to problem solve right away, just to have the space to have someone listen. I can certainly see how that would be super powerful and set you up for much more resilience later on in the day. Um, Absolutely. I, I hear so many of the, the same um, comments and feelings and, you know, what to say, what not to say um, that I've had conversations with uh, a couple of um couple of colleagues that deal in the the world of grief as well of you know when something has happened um not necessarily suicide or someone has passed um and I liken back to one of my own experiences with my previous mother-in-law and when she passed away you know six kids they were all very close and the family you know she used to phone each of her kids every night um, even though they were, you know, in the 30s and 40s. Um, so very tight-knit family. And when she passed, it was it was more traumatic to me than when my own mom passed away because she was living in England. I was already over here with my my own family. And based on, let's say, the story that's in my, my book, we weren't super close growing up either. And somebody in the kitchen at the coffee station asked me, you know, how are you doing today? And and we say it so flippantly. So how are you? And I just broke down and bawled and I was on the floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they were like, stunned because they just didn't even realize that it was just a casual, right. well, how are you doing? Well, unless you're actually ready to hear the real answer, I suggest yeah. don't even ask that question, unless you've got at mm-hmm. least minutes to support someone who actually does have something going on. And isn't ready to talk about their own feelings in that moment. Much better to ask, you know, how are things today? Rather than that word oh, you, I love that. which seems so very yeah. personal and just tugs right at the heart. If something is, in this case, mm-hmm. you know, recent passing going on. I think I'd been back to work for uh, for a week. I think the grievance period was something like paid grievance was three days. And I was like, are you kidding are you kidding me not ready to go back to work no No, I'd be sitting in my office trying to work um and then I'd have you know grandpa on the phone crying and I'd have another relative calling and you know it's a it's challenging time so how are things didn't trigger for me the same Mm -hmm. emotion as 
but you're still being polite, you're still being, you know, courteous in the usual, you know, uh, mm-hmm. introductory way without it being quite so pointed. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to to suggest of things not to say is if you have your own spiritual beliefs about what happens to you after suicide, I would ask that you keep that to yourself unless you know for sure that the person shares your personal spiritual beliefs. You may right. think they do and you may really not know. So I, I think just to be safe, I would just refrain from having those conversations because you may think you're being helpful, but it's really not helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, as a as a coach, you know, one coach to another, I just think the main thing in life is, you know, stop trying to tell other people what you think they should be doing or could be doing and use the power of asking and the power of collaborative conversations so much more than we do. We tend to hear something right away. We want to jump into problem solving mode and men, men do this even more um, than mm-hmm. women do, but jumping to a solution without fully hearing what it is and letting the person express and feel into it and be complete um, you know, which reminds me of being on Clubhouse, right? I am complete. <laughs> How would you know unless you're standing in front of the person and you see the signal? Um, yeah, exactly. Than, you know, other yeah. than in, in England, our tone at the end of a sentence tends to dip down rather than when uh, I come to Canada. Everything's a question because Canadians in the... Everything goes up at the end. It goes up at the end, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. We do that. Yeah, we absolutely do that. Um, and it's interesting that you said that about about helping and fixing, uh, going for a walk today with my husband. We had this conversation about when is it really helpful, right? And you th- you might think you're helping, but it's not really helpful. And the best way is to ask, can I give you some, you know, are you open to some advice? Are you open to hearing my point of view? Rather than just jumping in and trying to fix it. And it was a wonderful conversation. And I think these are the conversations that, that we, we miss in our relationships. Right. And we just kind of jump in and want to, we want, we think we're being helpful. I do it. I do it. I do it. I think <laughs> I'm being helpful. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're, um, if you're listening to Kathy and, uh, in this conversation, thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much more, so much more wisdom here to share. Um, you have a number of things on your website. We're going to offer something at the end of this interview, but mm-hmm. just give me the website name again, because it's similar to your book, but I don't want to get it wrong. Sure. And it's www.yoursuicidedidn'tkillme.com. There's no abrupt, no punctuation in it. It's all one word. Yoursuicidedidn'tkillme.com. Okay, great. And we'll repeat that at the end. So I encourage you to okay. reach out, connect through Kathy, learn a little bit more about her, about the work that she's doing. Pick up a copy of this book. Pick up a copy of this book, because if you can recognize the signs, you may be able to help somebody that you didn't even think that could be going down this path. You might be able to help the person who's a friend, a family member, a close relative of yours afterwards, simply by changing up one sentence. Your words are so, so powerful. I talk about this in my book. Um, One word that I bring up a lot because women in particular, we we should 
we sh- we say we should you know i should do this mm-hmm. i should do that or you should do this or you should do that and we shit on ourselves all the time mm-hmm. and yet should mm-hmm. is one of those words that has this energy of obligation of you know you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong and there's a judgment in there um just change it up change it to could it's so simple mm-hmm. and yet could has mm-hmm. this energy of lightness and airiness and possibility and choice that can change conversation just with one simple word should to could and if you think about it now that you know because you're you're listening saying oh <laughs> every time that that comes up you'll probably have my voice in your head now saying could could could, could, could. <laughs> <But> what happens, <laughs> happens when you shift that language yes. so it doesn't sound judgmental it sounds more about the opportunity and certainly when people are grieving just one word they they get they can easily get stuck or hung up on it shut down and we want to make sure that we're using appropriate language so thank you for sharing some of those uh questions to ask things uh, to to not say i love the what are you ready for so if you're writing things down uh capture that one i have so the the moving forward part how do you move forward kathy one step at a time And there's just no other way of doing it. And I would say not avoiding the grief. Like I felt like I needed to go through the grief. Um, And in my book, I talk about how in August of 2016, I was newly married. I had left Calgary where you live and moved north. And I really missed my my home my family. I I was just, I was so sad. And there was such a big change. And one of the biggest stressors, if you ever take a look at a stress, uh, stress scale, moving is right up there at the top death, moving, you know, divorce, these kinds of things are at the top for, uh, for levels of stress. And so it had really settled in that I had moved and I, I wasn't happy and I became very depressed and I went through my own sort of dark night of the soul where I really started thinking, well, maybe I just want to go join Brian. Maybe I don't want to be here. Right. Um, And the difference is that I had, I still had tools in my toolkit and I was able to pull those out and able to use those. Um, But what it did is it gave me a greater appreciation for the mindset that I think that he was in at, you know, at, at some point before before his death, you know, maybe not right at the, the very end, but um, certainly close to it, where it's just like, you know, why bother, right? That depression kind of gets in there. And I think, I know not everybody has experienced depression, but a lot of us have. And there's stigma around depression, there's stigma around suicide, there's stigma around mental health. So the more we can talk about these things and normalize them, Mm -hmm. then I think we can all benefit from it rather than kind of sweep it on the right. Oh, well, we're not going to talk about that. If you broke an arm, you would, you would show everybody your broken arm and you would, you know, you would show them the cast and tell them how you broke your, you know, had your broken arm. But if your spirit is broken, how do we talk about that? Right. Yeah. Unless we have a, a dedicated listener or listeners or a therapist or or some way of expressing my spirit is broken right now. Mm-hmm. And that hurts just as much, if not more than a broken arm. A broken arm, you know, is going to heal the yeah. broken spirit. That's a tougher one. It's yeah. 
Yeah. Well, certainly as you're talking, um, one of the things, uh, again, it's tips in my book. I can't remember which, which section it's under, but um, talking about, you know, we're, we're all going to have these moments when we're not feeling joyful and something, you know, crappy just happened and we're not sure if we're gonna, you know, how we're going to get through it. Um, when you are in a super positive state, this is time to write down your sticky note, your sticky note of things that you can do that are your go-tos. How can I um, cheer? How can I be more cheerful? How can I have a more positive outlook? What are the things that I can go to that will instantly help me to feel better? Um, and just make a list of those things. Now, typically top is, you know, phone a friend, um, or maybe it is a bubble bath. Maybe it is go for a workout. Maybe it is go for a walk, hug a tree, whatever it might be, but make the list before you're in the state where you can't think because you're so anxious or you just got so much running through your head that you cannot be creative. You just can't. All your blood is, you know, in your frontal cortex. And if you have that go-to list, you can just pull out the list. It's a lot easier to do, just like creating a super powerful uh, vision statement. You know, you're not going to be doing that when you're down in the dips. You need to be a little higher up to be able to even see and feel into what the possibilities are. So jot it down when you're positive, And hopefully that itself may be all that is required to add enough things in the toolbox that you really see that there are um, a few more choices to explore first. Um, and that's really, I think, all we can all we can do. Or is there more? What else can we do? Well, and I'd love that you the, the suggestions that you've given are very tangible. Have yeah. a bubble bath, right? Maybe go for a walk. Like it's something to do yeah. because if, if I'm in that place and I'm looking at my purpose statement. So my purpose statement is to raise the vibration of love in the world, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's what I really want to do at the end of the day. Does that inspire me and motivate me when I'm feeling really crappy? Probably not. Right. So I love your suggestion, very tangible things. And so it's, a, it's almost like a to-do list. I'm going to do this until I can feel a bit better and get the, get a few of those under your belt. Right. Yeah. So the action, you know, even if you even if it's watching a um you know American Idol, right? I mean, you look Absolutely. at some of those mm -hmm. youngsters who yeah. are so um appreciative of having an opportunity to just you know stand and sing or whatever their talent is in front of somebody else and you know have have this mass massive vision and they're five or ten or they're blind, like the gentleman that won last yeah. year who reminded me so much of my of my own special needs son he's not blind um but he has you know he has special needs but when i listened and mm -hmm. saw the capacity the ability mm -hmm. that that young mm -hmm. had um it was it was just an incredible journey and it that's inspiring it absolutely <laughs> i mean absolutely. yeah um and i would also give permit you know not permission but find a sad movie. Like if you're feeling really sad, just lean into it, get the box of Kleenex, find the sad. I, I mean, I'm showing my age, but I used to love the movie beaches because mm -hmm. that was a six Kleenex movie, but yeah. I'm sure that there's lots of movies out there. There's some that you just know are really, really sad. Right. And watch that, have a good cry because that can be very cathartic as well. Yeah. Um, 
One thing I, I, I did want to add in here is uh, there are movies in there that do include suicide. And afterwards, people say, oh, I wish somebody would have told me that, you know, there was suicide in this movie. There's actually a website called Does the Dog Die? And you can look on that website and you can see if the dog dies, if somebody dies by suicide, if there's murdered. Like they have a whole list of things that you can check and you can vet the movie before you watch it. So if you're very fragile around suicide, take a look at the website and decide, mm, no, not today, not watching A Star is Born or, you know, whatever, you know, 13 ways, you know, to die by suicide, whatever the, sh the show is, you can vet it before you actually watch it rather than watching it and then regretting the experience. Protect yeah. yourself. Yeah. I mean, films are so oriented with the theme music which is of course telling us mm -hmm. how to feel right you know the the, mm -hmm. the haunted house and <laughs> you know watch for someone coming through the basement right <laughs> just as the heartstrings are pulling your emotions another direction depending on you know, if it's a love story or not so what a what a great idea i was not aware of that um that movie so watch for some of these resources now, you had also very generously offered up, up a gift, and I want to make sure that listeners don't clock off. Just hang in for a few more minutes because we have some more juicy things that you can okay. get. So what was it that you wanted to offer to the listeners, Kathy? Right. So if you go to my website, www.yoursuicidedentkillme.com, uh, and uh, put in your email address, I will send you a PDF on things to say and things not to say to a survivor of suicide loss. Now, this mm -hmm. is something you may not need immediately, but what a great thing to print off and just have in your, in your toolkit, because somebody you might come across will tell you that they've lost somebody through suicide and you can go, okay, I've, I've read the list. I things, you know, things to say, not to say, trying to avoid the word committed um, you know, and some of the other things that I've, I've shared in here, uh, avoid your, uh, you know, if you have religious, um, uh, religious conviction, but what happens after suicide, you know, th things to keep to yourself. I was, uh, I've been very helped and I've been very hurt by things people have said to me over the years. Yeah. Well, it is that, you know, simple shift of a few words and, you know, mm -hmm. What are you ready for? Um, you know, is there something I can do? You know, or right. you just need me. And to I'm here. Listen. I'm here to listen. Right. To tell, listen. To, tell me your story. And I really believe in saying the person's name. So my first husband's name was Brian, mm -hmm. and I and I read somewhere, and I love it that you die twice: once when you die, and once when the last person says your name. So as long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep saying his name. And mm -hmm. I'm hoping that the book will as well to keep him alive, me alive, that people will hopefully keep saying our name. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, I think it's important, too, to keep saying the person's name that you're having the conversation with, too, so that they know that this is not just a flippant conversation, that you really are listening because um, I know yeah. when someone says, you know, Yvonne, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> oh, okay. I was in a thought there. Yeah, talking to me. <laughs> You're talking to me. Yes. I pay more, much more attention to what comes yes. after that. 
And it That's just really brings the conversation to a much more personal, um, yeah, much more personal level. So there, we talked about the signs. We talked about your own personal journey. Obviously, there's a lot more in your book, Your Suicide Didn't Kill Me, Choosing to Live and Love Again After Loss, that people can learn more about on your website, uh, yoursuicidedidn'tkillme.com. Kathy's very kindly offered up um, a PDF things um, to say or not to say um, around this topic of suicide questions and, and not to ask. If you're also looking for a little bit more on some of the things I shared, um, Words, Women and Wisdom, The Modern Art of Competent Conversations, it is on Amazon. It's available as a print book, an ebook. It's also on Or Sound, A W E s-o-u-n-d or sound haven't got it on audible yet <laughs> um but that's the audio version of the book too and um there's actually some more information about that on my web my, my website yvonnesilver.com so you can check that out the the book itself it's 40 different words and word concepts to help women ask for what they want and get it and when we do ask for what we want and get it I would suggest that these are things that could be part of the toolkit. I I was able to negotiate a promotion. I was able to get fair pay. I was able to move house into that really nice condo. I was able to, because it's all about asking in a way that will be assertive and confident and asking for what you want and getting it. And in the case of a promotion, I know so many people, I mean, they're, they're the people calling me <laughs> who got passed over for a promotion simply because they didn't catalog all of their accomplishments and they didn't track what they did, how they did it, why their unique personality was able to help them get the job done. And there's some other tips in the book about you know, demonstrating your value. And the last chapter is not about words. It's about when no words are even required. So as a professional woman, how do you assert authority in a room full of men? How do you show up confidently? You know, sometimes it's just as simple as putting on a jacket. And that's what the, the last chapter eight is all about. So if anything that we said intrigues you, I encourage you to either reach out to Kathy directly after the show. And if you are intrigued to learn more about the work I'm doing, um, or you have a speaking event, you're looking for a keynote, please do reach out yvonnesilver.com. And today we've been talking about how to have a thriving approach post-suicide thriving. So choosing to live and love again after loss. Kathy, it's been such an honor talking to you today, learning about your your masterful creation. I, I call it that because this is a difficult topic for many, many people and a book that is so needed in the world. But I'm I'm so glad that you chose to do that, to put that work out there. And what's coming up next for you in our last minute together? Well, before I, I say that, I just I would be remiss if I, I didn't say if you yourself are feeling suicidal in the United States and Canada, you can text 988 and reach out. Uh, in Canada, Talk Suicide is available 24-7. Uh, in the United States, uh, it's a suicide and crisis lifeline, but 988, if you remember that number and text that, um, to reach out to someone uh, mm -hmm. to listen. Um, next for me is you talked about Audible, and that's sort of the next uh, project for me is to put my book uh, in uh, audio, audio, audio format 
and uh, and then working on um, workshops for mm. survivors of suicide loss. That's mm. the next project after that. So would those be general workshops or corporate workshops or a mix? It could be a it could be a mix. I'm doing some corporate training right now. Um, and the thing is, is, is that it suicide touches us all right on a personal level in a business. You know, if somebody within the business has died by suicide, um, that might be a, a really important conversation to have as a as a team, as a corporate team. Yeah, well, I shared the um, advertisement for this upcoming show in the HR community, a couple of HR communities that I'm in. I think this would be an excellent topic for those people in particular to know that they have tools to support their staff. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. And I look forward to keeping. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Yvonne. I love what you're doing and just being a voice for women moving forward. So thank you. You're welcome. And listeners, make sure you connect with Kathy or myself and let's keep this conversation going. Anything that is a difficult conversation, that's one of my areas of expertise. So please reach out. Have a great afternoon and take care. Bye for now.